life, and, 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 and this happens in our society where people may or may not acknowledge that. But for me, and I've shared this recently, it's like not acknowledging a financial debt, right? I can ignore it. <laughs> How many knows that doesn't work? <laughs> I can ignore it, and I cannot pay it but it's still there, and eventually it's going to catch up with me, right? So just because we don't acknowledge we're sinners doesn't mean we're not. And just because we don't acknowledge that we're sinners, it doesn't mean we don't need a Savior. But tonight, I hope we recognize, and those who are watching, and maybe it's the first time you've ever heard this, but we must be born again. And so um, we're going to hear about an interesting man named Bill Drost. Who is familiar with Bill Drost? Ever heard of him? Well, we're going to learn about Bill Drost, the Pentecost. Amen. On May Day, on May Day, 1915, Bill Drost was born at a farm on the rolling hills of New Brunswick, Canada. His life would be characterized by astounding miracles as he fulfilled God's prophetic call as a missionary in South America. When Bill was 10 years old, his older sisters attended a revival meeting where Maddie Crawford preached. Many res responded to her preaching by repenting of their sins. Bill's parents were troubled by it. His mother did not want her children to be let, and I quote, led away with the error of the devil. Five years later, another spiritual stirring came into the area. A group holding Bible meetings spoke of the Holy Ghost. An older friend of Bill's named Bless joined these people. Bless was a champion boxer, tall and powerful. He had gone to the altar and had become a changed man. Bill's mother was furious to learn her son had anything to do with Bless and warned him never again to speak to that man. But Bill could not resist visiting a Bible meeting he discovered while riding his bicycle one night. He marveled at the testimonies he heard, the songs they sang, and the spontaneous worship. When he told his mother he had been to the meeting, she was stunned and said, If you ever go back there, it will be over my dead body. I now forbid you to go, and I never want to hear you mention those holy rollers again. You know they are of the devil. They have deceived you. Perplexed, Bill knelt by his bed, knelt by his bed that night, and with tears prayed, O oh God, show me what to do. If these people are of the devil, they should be told. Lord, whatsoever, whatever scripture you give me, it will help me. He dropped his finger on his Bible. It fell on a verse he had never heard before. The verse was, Oh, clap your hands, all ye people. Shout unto God with the voice of triumph. Psalms 47 and 1. Amen. Stunned, Bill said, Oh, God, that's just what those people were doing. They clapped their hands. Right? As he slept, Bill had a vivid dream. He saw Jesus coming from glory in a sky ablaze with beautiful light. He saw the faces of people he recognized. They were the people he had seen at the Bible meeting. They were rising to meet Jesus in the air. Amen. Their faces were filled with great joy. Oh, God, take me, Bill cried out, awakening and jumping from his bed. He was on his way to discovering what God had done to make it possible for him to experience eternal life. Amen. So isn't that an amazing story? Here's this young man just getting a call from the Lord, you know, and it reminds me of sort of like Samuel when God was calling him in, in the Bible, right? He thought Eli was calling him and he kept going. He said, hey, did you call me? He's like, no, I didn't call you. By the third time, we know Eli recognized that, wow, God is calling him. 
So he instructed the young Samuel and said, hey, the next time you hear it, you just answer, hear my Lord, speak, right? And I think that's an awesome thing when we, we feel that tugging, you know, we feel that, that strong pull in our life that we know there's something more to God than maybe we have been introduced to. And, and I know uh, many of us who have been part of this church for some time can attest to that, that maybe, we, you know, we were part of another church or an organization or a religion, and we knew there was a little more to it. And especially when we got into the Word of God, and like this young Bill, you know, he read a scripture, and he recognized, wow, A, that's not something I'm doing, but B, I see these people doing that. That's what they're doing. And so the, the Word of God is testifying in the lives of other people. And God uses that oftentimes to compel us to search and seek for more of Him, right? And ultimately, we hope and in general, that religion can bring people to God, but sometimes it just doesn't. And I'm not here to put down any religions or anything like that, but that's just the way it is in this world. And so, but the, we're thankful that if we're seeking God, if an individual is seeking God, right, and they're hungry for God, there's nothing that can stop them, right? There's no religion, there's nothing, there's no society, no rules that can stop that person from receiving the things of God. And that's awesome, right? So the point is, we all are part of a life that may be surrounded by circumstances that may have discouraged us in the past from pursuing God. Maybe we're, we're in fa our family members are discouraging, discouraging us like this young man's mother was, right? And calling people the devil or of the devil because they don't recognize those things. And we see that. Right. And oftentimes, and I know I can, I was on the other side of that in my own life where I was intimidated by the, the move of God's spirit because I didn't know what it meant. You know, it was intimidating, you know, it was foreign to me. And so sometimes when we, we get introduced to the supernatural things of God, we, we don't understand them. It's sometimes people can kind of get discouraged or a little afraid at sometimes, but we can be assured that if it's of God, and then we can find it in his word, and that's the important thing. Um, if, if his mother was reading her Bible, then she would have recognized that, wow, what these people are doing is not of the devil. This is of God, right? And that is where we need to base our faith in is the word of God. And that's going to save us every time. And that's going to keep us on a straight and narrow. Jesus said to his disciples when they were asking him about the end times, he said, you know, take heed that no man deceive you, right? Because many will come and they will have a lot of outward appearance things, but we got to know what the word of God says. Thus, what the word of God says, right? Thus saith the word. And that'll help us. That's going to keep us on the word of God and focused on what God is and who, we, who he is and what his will is for our lives. Amen. So we know Adam and Eve sinned, right? And we know that it was because of that fall, they were eventually taken out of the um, Garden of Eden. But initially, that wasn't the case. God had intended for them to live forever. He had placed two trees, many trees, but one of which was the tree of life, right? And one of which was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Okay? One tree that um, they were not supposed to partake of was still there. And people might wonder, why, why did God put that there? You ever wondered that? Why did God put it there if he didn't want them to eat it? Right? But I think, as we're going to see in this lesson, that God puts things in our lives to prove us, to prove our devotion to him, to prove if we're going to choose him or not. 
right? And it's all about choice, right? Salvation is about choice. And that is, that is an awesome thing, right? It's, a, it's, it's significant. It's the most significant thing we, we have. And it differentiates all of us from all other aspects of life that God created, right? That power to choose, amen? So we know that in the, book, in, the, in the book of Genesis, it says, And the Lord God commanded that man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day thou, shalt, thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. So with that said, do you agree with the idea that the power of choice is the greatest power people possess? Why or why not? I think we're all in agreement that it is pretty significant. Right? It is the greatest power, right? So the, the ability to choose God is in our hands. Right? Um, if, uh, if we feel like we're being coerced or pressured or anything like that, you know, that's really not choice. God is waiting for the individual to choose him above everything else, right? And that's, that's unique for everybody. And God knows what we hold close to our hearts, right, really tightly, things that are so precious to us, right? But we, we got to place him above that, right, and trust that he's, he, that's where he belongs. I pray often in my prayer that God be exalted in my heart above everything else in my life. And I mean that because I know it's significant. And I, I understand that that's, gonna, that's not always going to be an easy thing to face. But when I pray that, I know that God will give me the strength to do that, right, when that position or that circumstance comes into my life. So we know that they chose to eventually eat of the tree, the knowledge of good and evil. And we know what that did, right? But we, and we know that God said the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. We know they didn't physically die right on the spot. But the death that God is speaking of is that separation from his fellowship, right? That separation from him, right? That is not something we have ever experienced because God is with us, right, in this generation, in this, um, this time frame of life, in our lives. Whether we have acknowledged it or not, God is with us, and now God is in us. Right. But we don't know what it's like to be separated from God. The Bible says that Jesus tasted death for every man. And that's just something he tasted when he was on the cross. He said, you know, that why has and he asked the question, why hast thou forsaken me? He he tasted death. That's eternal separation for every one of us. Right. So we wouldn't have to. But that is the death that God was speaking of. And so eventually, um, that's what happened. Biblical references to death are always about a kind of separation. The death of a human is about cessation of existence. Every person born will exist forever. When a person dies, the person's material and immaterial components are separated, right? James illustrated this point when he spoke, for as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. So we know when the spirit leaves, yeah, this body dies, but the spirit lives on. We understand that. So, thus they were expelled from Eden. Paul wrote of this idea in a variety of places throughout the New Testament, and this is one of them um, from uh, the New King James Version. Uh, Romans chapter 5, verses 12, says, Therefore, just as, though, just as through one man entered into the world, excuse me, therefore, just as through one man's sin entered into the world, and death through sin, 
and thus, thus death spread to all men, because all sinned. Death reigned from Adam to Moses. By one man's offense, many died. By, the one, by one man's offense, death reigned through the one. Sin reigned in death. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. We were dead in sins. That's Ephesians 2, verses 1 and 5. If death refers to separation, what do you think it means then to be dead to sin? So the scripture is, teaches us that when we're dead to sin, we're supposed to be separated from sin. The scriptures are clear, right, that we are separate from the world, right, to be not conformed to this world. And so that is what the scripture refers to when it talks about I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. So we know that we are to die to sin. We know ultimately every day we make mistakes, we still fall short of the glory of God, and, and the word of God makes provision for that, right? And we know that because Jesus is our advocate, and he's our greatest advocate we'll ever have. There's no one in this life who loves us more than Jesus. So he has made provision for those shortcomings in our lives, right? But to die to sin, like Paul wrote, I die daily. It comes through the, the power, really, of self-denial. And that is how we keep this flesh from taking over again after we're born again. So we all need a Savior, and that is clear. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. The connection between sin and death is seen in Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. This is not a reference to physical death, which everyone will experience. The death in view in Romans 6.23 is a separation from fellowship with God as experienced by Adam and Eve. So if God did not want Adam and Eve to eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and we just discussed this, why did he put it there? And it is to prove us, right, to see what we're going to choose. Joshua said in the Old Testament before they entered in the promised land, choose you this day whom you will serve, right? And he said, but for, but for me in my house, as for me in my house, we will serve the Lord. And that is the mindset we need to, as a believer in this era, in this generation, in our generation, need to have that's going to keep us um, focused on what really matters for the kingdom of God is saying, hey, no matter what my family does, no matter what my neighbors do, no matter what my friends do, I'm going to follow Jesus, right? And I'm going to live that life of self-denial like Jesus did. So to emphasize this point, we have a short little video for you to, to watch. I think this will help us out quite a bit here. So let's talk about what it means to be dead to sin. Now we've seen that, that death to sin is in the context of being separated from it. And of course, we know that when something dies, it's separated from existence. So when scripture calls us to be dead to sin, one of the obvious meanings has to be that we're to have no part of it. We see all of these references in the Bible where it talks about the old man and the new man and the old creatures passed away and all things have become new. That's probably one of the greatest hopes of the gospel is that it does not matter your past. Everything can be erased. You can be separated from that past life of sin and start a new life free of all that sin, free of all that weight, free of all that shame. Think about 
people that you've heard about growing up who came to the Lord. Think of those testimonies of, of maybe it was the person in town who was known for some specific identity. And when they came and made their peace with God, came into relationship with Him, were born again. Even that language of born again speaks to us of someone who starts that new life. That old life is now dead to us. And so what it means for us then is that we should be active in protecting against that old life and those past sins that would perhaps try to entice us back into an old lifestyle. I'm dead to that now. I'm dead to that sin. I want nothing to do with it. Sometimes you'll notice people who've perhaps come out of a, a past lifestyle of sin, they will be very careful to build guardrails into their lives because they don't want anything that might possibly bring them back to that place of temptation. Why? Because we're now separated from that. We're very careful to be dead to that part of our lives, to be separated from that old man, that old life, and now walk in newness of life, as Scripture calls it. That hope of walking in newness of life is something that all of us can enjoy. I could tell you my story. You could tell me your story. Whether it would be testimonies of extreme addiction that we're now dead to, or whether it's those secret sins of the heart that maybe you don't know about me and I don't know about you, but when we're born again, that part of us is now gone. If we're dead to that sin, we're separated from it, and we're called to walk in that newness of life. Well, well said. That is very well said. I appreciate her mentioning guardrails, and I know Pastor has shared that quite a bit. You know, these uh, things in the Word of the Word of God gives us a lot of those guardrails to put in our lives to keep us right, um, and, and it all comes to be account being accountable. And if we are willing to be accountable to God, God will honor that, right? And He will not. The Bible says He will not uh, give us a temptation that is too heavy for us. Uh, the, the scripture is very clear on that. 1 Corinthians 10 and 13 says that there hath no temptation taken you, but such is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer us to be tempted above that which we are able, but will, with the temptation, make a way for us to escape, that we may be able to bear it. Right? Whether in, and I know temptation can be also uh, viewed as uh, you know, struggles or tribulation, right? But either way, God will make a way. He knows what we can handle. And if we trust that, then he will, put, he will allow us to find those landmarks and those guardrails that will keep us, right? If we're willing to be accountable, God will help us, right? And so um, putting up those things in our lives, being convinced that I, I am separated from these things, that that those things don't define who I am, right? And by per, in my mindset is if I participate in these things, I'm really to me in my heart I feel like I'm doing the I'm not I'm doing the kingdom of God a disservice. I'm not honoring the kingdom of God. That's kind of how I view it in my life. But the point is when we're born again, we start all over. We have a, a new life. The Bible says as many of us have who have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And if we've been buried with him in baptism, we are also risen with him to walk in newness of life, right? We know Jesus was baptized. He didn't need to he didn't have sin, but he said Thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness, right? And if he was baptized, well, who we must be baptized too. Jesus, Jesus said, ye must be born again to enter the kingdom of heaven, right? A man must be born again of the water and of the spirit, right? And he went on to say that when the wind blows, right, the wind blows where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but you don't know whence it comes or where it, whither it goes. So is everyone who is born of the spirit. When I read that, 
recently, God just showed me how awesome that was because what do we hear when they heard them speak with tongues? Isn't that awesome? Right? So God's plan of salvation is amazing. Right? Jesus said, you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And it is this, this power that is the foundation of our New Testament. And it's not a Pentecostal thing. It's not a religious thing. It's God thing. It's his promise. Because God knew. God knew our failures as in our humanity. And he's giving us something, a helper, a comforter, the Bible describes the Holy Ghost. A teacher, right, to help us in this journey called life right? And not just, uh, just to barely scrape by, but power to have victory, right? And so my encouragement for you tonight is that through the Holy Ghost, you and I can have victory in this life, right? We don't have to settle for the, the things that the world gets down upon, whether it's politics, whether it's whatever is going on in our local communities or our finances, whatever it is. We don't have to settle for that. We have something better that we can praise God for and that we can get, allow God to stir up in us, right, that can overcome addiction, depression, right? loneliness in Jesus' name. And that, is, that all comes because of what God has provided through that free gift that Jesus, because he was sacrificed and he rose from the dead, has provided for everybody. So isn't that awesome? Um, the free gift from God, it says, notice the contrast between wages and a gift in Romans 6.23. We earn wages by the work we do. We do not earn gifts, right? And that was a huge struggle for me in my early Christian life, thinking I had to earn things from God. I had to do all these things, and then God would be pleased enough with me, and then I could get the things of God. Well, we got to recognize that, hey, God has given a gift for everybody. And so don't, don't be deceived by anything, any message that tells you you have to earn something from God. God just wants us to learn how to receive the things. And we have to believe that he has, he's got something that he wants to give us freely, right? And it's called his gift. A gift is received. Notice also the contrast between death and eternal life. The consequences of a sinful behavior is separation from fellowship with God. Eternal life, which can be described as life forever in God's presence, is a free gift from God. As Peter said on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Ghost is a gift, and that's in Acts 2.38. I will trust that the sacrifice Jesus made for me is sufficient for my sins. Do you trust that tonight? That what he did is enough? And I tell you, when I get discouraged and down, and or I start feeling that condemnation or that accusation from either my past or things that are, are happening, I remember that when Jesus was on that cross, he knew exactly what I was going to do, and he still died. And I, I constantly remind myself of that because oftentimes that's what the world wants to do is make us feel down and condemned. Like we have no hope, but we have a genuine hope that only comes through Jesus Christ. And I'm reminded when Pastor was preaching recently about the resurrection. There's nothing that could stop Jesus from resurrecting. Don't you think if the devil could, he would have tried to stop that? <laughs> Absolutely. He couldn't. He had no power, right? And none of his minions did either. And, and the same thing when Jesus returns, nothing's going to be able to stop that. Right? And we have the privilege in this day and hour, in this generation, to be the called out ones, that the, the, those believers who, the true believers, and the witnesses for God's truth that will give people hope. The Bible says to always be ready, right, to give an answer of the hope that lies within us with meekness and fear, right? To, to give somebody that hope when they feel like they've get, they have nothing left, right? Everyone's given up on them. 
They have nobody to turn to. We can be that light for them, that example, an encouragement to them. How many of us have benefited from somebody encouraging us in life? Encouragement goes so long. And every day, you and I can encourage somebody. And I pray that tonight that you, you, were, you will pray to the Lord and ask him to put somebody in your life that you can encourage a little bit in their journey of life and their struggle and know that no matter if you know a bunch of scriptures in the Bible or just one or none, you can encourage somebody. You can let them know that there's hope in Jesus because I know a God in heaven who came down to this earth in the form of man and gave his life for me because he loves me and he loves you too. And he would, if he'd done that for you and I, there's nothing he wouldn't do, right? Amen? In Jesus' name. The Bible says that genuine belief results in obedience. Disobedience is not a work. It is a response of faith, and that's what I was mentioning earlier, brother. It's how we respond to God, you know, and sometimes people can come into a place like this, like myself, and can be a little intimidated because they see the people being exuberant and praise and worship and and. and Someone like myself could easily say, well, that's just not me. I'm shy. I'm an introvert, which I am um, naturally. But uh, this, this is talking about our obedience to God, our response to God. When we come into the presence of God, we realize, I just realized that everyone here was just responding to God, how God was touching them. And the awesome thing is God wants to touch each and every person. It's not just a select group of people, right? It's not just for people that are a certain height. Thank God, right? It's for everybody. God wants to touch everybody, right? And, and when we can learn how to respond to the Lord, we just start worshiping him. And some people are very quiet about it, but some people are very exuberant. But amen. Praise God. Just like the young man, Bill Drost, he saw people clapping their hands. And that inspired him. So just know that your personal worship can inspire somebody else, right? In Jesus' name. Praise God. After, the, after his dream of the people he had seen at the Bible meeting rising to meet Jesus, Bill Dross ran downstairs to tell his mother, Mom, I want to talk to you. Do you believe Jesus Christ is going to come in the clouds from heaven? My dear son, she replied, the coming of the Lord is only when death comes and takes us. That is what his coming is. When he told her about the dream, Bill's mother said with tears, Poor Willie, you've been deceived. This is just the devil. Try to forget about it. She warned him again not to talk to the holy roller people. But the next Sunday, Bill rode his bicycle 17 miles to the meeting. When the preacher concluded his message, Bill knew he needed to come to Jesus. Amen. How many have been there? He needed to come to Jesus. Amen. Bill knew he needed to come to Jesus. He went to the altar and prayed, Lord God, if you save me, I don't care what happens. I want to be ready for your coming, and whatever you want me to do, I will do it, Lord. A lady placed her hand on Bill's head, praying, Lord, help this boy to believe what you have done for him on Calvary. At that moment, something gripped him, an inner realization of the things the woman had said. His faith reached out and took the words, pulling him them, pulling them into his experience, clinging to them, savoring the reality of them. He felt a lightning, a freedom, a liberation from the heaviness, confusion, and conviction that had been pressing on him. On New Year's Eve, as Bill prayed, he heard a voice saying, go to the meeting tonight. When he shared his intention with his mother, she responded, over my dead body. Nevertheless, Bill walked through the snow to the service. The preacher's text was Luke 24, 49. 
Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. The preacher asked, Who wants the promise of the Father? Bill went forward. He began to speak words he had never known. It was 4 a.m. before Bill realized how much time had passed as he was caught away in the spirit. When he returned home, his mother asked, Where have you been till this hour of the morning? Beginning to sense the spirit welling up within him, he answered, Mom, I was at the meeting. And what went on there that would bring a boy of your age home at an hour like this, his mother asked. Bill responded, Mom, it was wonderful. What was wonderful, she asked. As Bill lifted his hands to heaven, he began to speak with tongues again. His mother, with wide eyes and open mouth, stared at him, bewildered. Later, however, she chided and insulted him, rehearsing the faults of Pentecostal people. Never again, though, did she try to stand in his way, when, even when he was baptized in the river at Newcastle Bridge. Amen. So I encourage you today, no matter who standing against you or is trying to discourage you about your experiences with God, you claim it in Jesus' name. And it's important that we all know that what God did for us is eternal. It is something that's preparing us. And I, and I love how he said, he asked his mom the question, do you believe that Jesus is going to come back again in the clouds? Right? And that's an awesome, awesome question. And the, the, the answer to that question is yes. The Bible is very clear that Jesus will return. And we have an opportunity to prepare, be prepared, and help others be prepared. Let them know that here's an opportunity. We're in the age of grace, right, where we can receive repentance and remission of sins and be filled with the power of God and be filled with that hope, right, that transcends everything in this life, that transcends people's attitudes towards us, what they think about us, how they treat us, because we have something that is precious inside of us, right? And I pray tonight that you're encouraged enough that you're going to go out and share that message with someone and ask them the question, have ye received the Holy Ghost since ye believed? Amen? That's an awesome question. And so as, you, as we read the book of Acts, we realize that this message was for all groups of people, right? It was for the Jews, Right? In Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 8, the Samaritans got opened the door for. Acts chapter 10, right? The Gentiles, the door was opened for. And I like to include the group in Acts chapter 9 as just religious people, right? Not in a condescending way, but I've been there, right? Acts, 9, Acts chapter 19, God opened that same door. It was the same message, the same result, and that's the word of God. So whether people want to agree with it or not, whether people uh, um, approve of this kind of worship, I know that I want to clap my hands and raise my hands and thank my God for this awesome salvation. And when we learn to do that, God brings us into a, a relationship, a covenant relationship, right, that allows us to be in, in, uh, have a faith-based belief that is stronger than anything, that is going to uh, giving us a victory over everything that can come against us, and it's within us, right? And the Bible says, Christ in us, the hope of glory. Yes. And Je when Jesus said, behold, I stand at the door and knock, right? If any man will open the door, he will enter and come into that person, inside of us. That's where God wants to dwell. That abiding presence of God is what we have. And we can be thankful every day. 
uh, to God for, no matter what's happening. Just thank God that you have something that is eternal, right? And that will change the trajectory of our lives. And like this Bill Drost that we just read about, it changed everything. And that's what God can change for us tonight. No matter where you've been, no matter what road you've traveled, God can change the trajectory of your life. All you have to do is ask and just receive the gift that is so freely given. If we can stand tonight and say, Lord, we thank you. Lord Jesus, we know.